No matter what, we can fit the pigs. type of woman is one that can remove her seal skin and can be wooed with a basket of fish. Ooh. If you pine for the good old days where all the good men were either married or werewolves, <laughs> you've come to the right place. Yes, you definitely this have. This is Strange Shenanigans. I'm uh, Ashley. And I'm Stan. Uh, today we're going to talk about ghostly animals. Can we talk about anything else, Ashley? I have the well-known story... Well, not so well known, I guess. Well known if you're a main story of Colonel Buck of Bucksport. Ooh. Yes. Are you going to kick it off with the animals then? Sure, let's kick it off with some animals. Okay, the first one I have is the Blue Dog Legend. Said Ooh. to be the oldest ghost story in American history, the legend of Blue Dog dates back to the 1700s in Port Tobacco, Maryland. Legend has it that late one night, a man named Charles Thomas Sims entered a tavern with his faithful hound, Blue Dog. Sims started to brag to the locals about his gold and his ownership of a deed to rather large estate. After a long night of drinking, Sims and his dog departed, only to be stalked by a man named Henry Hanos, who wanted to rob Sims of his gold. A fight ensued on Rose Hill Road, and ultimately both Sims and Blue Dog were killed. Hanos then buried Sims' gold under a large holly tree on the same road, where he planned to retrieve it once there was no longer any heat. However, when he returned to the tree three days later, he was scared off by the ghost of Blue Dog himself, who had returned to protect his master's treasure. To this day, the locals say that every February 8th, on the anniversary of the robbery, Blue Dog can be heard howling by the tree and waiting for his master to return. Ooh. Creepy. Right. I got lots of dogs. There's lots of dog ghost stories. Only dogs haunt people? No, there's there's some good dogs. <laughs> okay. Like Preston the Protector. Ooh, I know a Preston. Let's see. The tale of Preston the Boxer, a friendly ghost dog who haunts the streets of Belmont Hillsborough neighborhood in Nashville every Halloween night. The story goes, on Halloween almost 50 years ago, Preston was walking with a group of trick-or-treaters when one little boy stopped to pick up candy that he had dropped in the road. The boy's older sister went to pull him off the street as a car fast approached, but Preston the boxer got there first. Mm. He knocked the child out of the way in the, from the vehicle and saved him, but was unfortunately hit by the car himself. Aww. After making sure her brother was okay, the girl went to look for Preston, but mysteriously his body was never found. Now, locals say that every year on Halloween, trick-or-treaters who wander too close to the road have reported back that uh, they've been nudged away from the road by something that's not there. Oh, Preston's still taking care of everybody. Right? That's so sweet. Um, let's see. I've got another one, uh, a less friendly one. Is it a cat? It's a friggin' cat. Cats right? are dicks. Uh, he haunts D.C., of all places, and uh, is aptly named... With the same initials as DC, as the Demon Cat. Oh, comforting. Great. Okay, so the Demon Cat uh, haunts the U.S. Capitol. Uh, the legend began with a sighting during the Civil War and gained further traction during the late 19th century upon discovery of paw prints in wet concrete inside the Capitol building. The name Demon Cat is... Uh, 
the initials to match DC. <laughs> Creative. Uh, coming across the demon cat is said to be a bad omen. Uh, when you see the cat, he may appear regular in size, and then he turns in incredibly large to almost the size of an elephant just to scare the living shit out of you. Uh, its first appearance could be linked to the death of former president John Quincy Adams and subsequent <laughs> sightings foretelling the stock market crash of 1929, the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, and John Kennedy. Oh, that's weird. Right? Man, that's a you mean got, cat. You got any stories for us, Ashley? I do. I have a story from Galloway, Ireland called A Pig on the Road from Gort. You know, Gort. Gort. Everyone's been to Gort. There was a man coming along the road from Gort to Garyland one night, and he had a drop taken. And before him on the road, he saw a pig walking. And having a drop in, he gave a shout and made a kick at it and bit it to get out of there. And from the time he got home, his arm had swelled from the shoulder to be as big as a bag, and he couldn't use his hand with the pain in it. And his wife brought him after a few days to a woman that used to do cures at the western town. And on the road, all she could do would hardly keep him from lying down to sleep on the grass. And when they got to the woman, she knew all that had happened. And she said, It's well for you that your wife didn't let you fall asleep on the grass. For if you had done that, but for an instant, you'd be a gone man. So, what I learned is, don't kick at pigs when you're drunk. Right. Pretty Leave much. pigs alone. <laughs> right. So, this one is in uh, Jerome, Arizona, which itself is a ghost town turned into a tourist attraction, essentially. Nice. Yep. So, uh, uh, a hospital turned hotel, uh, you know, obviously it's haunted, right? But it's not haunted by a person. This one's haunted by a ghost cat. <laughs> uh, according to those who have stayed the night, the hotel's ghosts take on a number of different forms but there's an especially good chance of running into the ghost cat that roams the third floor though not guaranteed to appear the ghost cat is an excellent amenity for this place uh he uh is most often seen curling up at the end of foot of people's bed and then them sitting up and he's gone <laughs> or while they're dining something rubbing up against their leg for them to look under the table and find nothing weird but kind of sweet I wish my cat would haunt me. The next one I've got is a Greyfarer's Bobby. Okay. Yep. A Bobby is a terrier, apparently. Ah, all yeah. right. I wasn't going to so, get there. When a night watchman in Edinburgh, Scotland, died of tuberculosis in 1858, Bobby, his inseparable canine companion, led the funeral procession to the grave at Greyfarer's Kirkyard. Fiercely loyal, Bobby tried to stay by his master's side after the funeral had ended and wouldn't leave until the caretaker tried to shoo him away. He returned the next day and would stay there for 14 years to watch over the grave. Hmm. Until his own death in 1872. Uh, Bobby was buried in, in the same graveyard next to his master. Aww. And uh, it's often said that people will be in the graveyard and see a dog run by and turn to look at it and it's gone. Weird. Yep. I wonder if most things while we're driving or walking we see out of the corner of our eye are like ghost animals. Now I've got a I've got a good one for you. What type of animal do you think it's gonna be? Chicken. It is a chicken. What? No, we no, it's not. The ghost chicken of Pond Square. Oh, I was just guessing. 
According to English antiquary John Aubrey, bacon was struck in, in mid-travels with an idea of using snow to preserve meat and found <laughs> the concept so intriguing that he bought the first chicken he could find, okay. ripped its guts out, oh. stuffed it full of snow. Uh, bacon, his name is Bacon, okay. immediately died within the following days of pneumonia from standing out in the snow stuffing dead chickens. Okay. Uh, it's it's said that uh, in the area of, of his burial, uh, it is not uncommon to see the half-plucked chicken run past and vanish. That's so weird. <laughs> Who I'm gets haunted the, the, by the, a chicken? The, the, the chicken is so pissed that he's like, I'm going to fuck with this guy's grave for the rest of eternity. <laughs> It's horrible. <laughs> any more ghost animals from you? I don't have any ghost animals, but I, I have a pissed off Irish rabbit. Ooh, rabbits are always good. Right. This is the fairy rabbit in the blessed earth of Tory. Sure. Right? Uh, my grandfather Donahue was a great fisherman, and as well as being a good seaman, he was a wonderful swimmer. He was a very strong man, too. He used to go out fishing with a man from the east of the island. It was in Port Adun. He kept his cura, and it was on the north side of the island. He did most of his fishing. One fine summer evening, he went east to meet his comrade, and the two of them went to the port. They took all their gear and the cura down to the edge of the strand and set out for the northern shore. There is a place on the east of the island near the port called Pole. It is a cavern open at both ends, and it is a good shortcut compared with having to go around. It was through the pole that they were going that evening. There was not a breath of wind, and the sea was as smooth as a board. They saw a rabbit sitting up on the height overhead, and it seemed to them to be very bold. I, I'm not really sure what a bold rabbit is. I know. It just strikes a pose. But I guess the tale is that he was very bold. This is all, I should add, this is um, written by a man named Jimmy, and he spells it J-I-M-I, -I, so take it with a grain of salt. Man, he did that before it was even popular, right. too. <laughs> My grandfather drew in his paddles and began to beat them against the edge of the boat. But not a hair did they move up the rabbit which did not stir from where it sat <laughs> not a hair i think he did that on purpose good old jimmy the boat was out on the water by then and both men began to shout and roar but it seemed there was no hunting it away donovan that is no natural rabbit said the man in the stern of the boat to my grandfather with that they saw a great wave coming upon them God save us, they cried. The wave swept the boat halfway over its crest. With that, they saw another wave, much worse than the first one. It struck amidship and capsized it. And before they had time to offer their souls to God and Mary, another wave of the same kind broke over them. But they did not let go of their boat. My grandfather shouted to the other man to keep a good grip, and he himself began to swim and draw the boat after him with one hand he was not able to bring the boat to land where he was and he had to draw the boat and the man hanging on it a long way 
He struggled on and on until he got the boat in beside a flat rock and succeeded in landing his comrade. When they had come to themselves a little, they turned the boat, but the two paddles were still afloat. Donovan went on swimming again and brought in the paddles. They both went out and then rescued the frames and the other gear they had lost. They returned to the port, sodden, wet, bruised, and exhausted. As long as they lived, both men held, and I heard my grandfather speak of it a score of times, that it was a fairy rabbit that they had seen on the height above them and that it was trying to drown them. They had a grain of the earth of Tory in the boat, and they sure and they are sure that's why it did not succeed. You know, you would think that uh, the fairy, <laughs> them being like it's a fairy rabbit, is a weird thing. But in a lot of Irish, Scottish, and English uh, folklore, fairies are animals usually. Yes, yeah, because we talked about fairy pigs once, and apparently if a rabbit has its eye on you, for whatever reason, it just stands still and crap happens to you. It's really weird. It's a passive-aggressive rabbit. Right. (laughs) (laughs) He must have some Mitchell in him. (laughs) Okay, hang right on, folks. We're going to come right back at you with the story of Colonel Buck. So I'm going to tell you the not-so-ghostly tale of Colonel Buck. Not so, I've been told my whole life the, uh, the witch story of Colonel Buck. So if you live in Maine, everybody knows who Colonel Buck is of Bucksport. And if you live in Maine and you're like, who's Colonel Buck? And then I said Bucksport, you're like, oh, right, that's right. So Colonel Buck founded Bucksport, and he's essentially famous for no good reason at all. <laughs> Bucksport, Maine is known for one really weird thing. A print of what looks like a boot on the grave of Colonel Buck. And Colonel Buck seems to be a weird historical dude. Though full of shenanigans that don't match up, he essentially seems pretty unexcited and ordinary. So let's learn about him first. Colonel Jonathan Buck was born in the famous Buck House in the town of Woburn, Massachusetts. His family was a founding family of Woburn, which is now known as Wilmington. But John didn't grow up there. He grew up in Haverville, Massachusetts. His father, Ebenezer, moved to Haverville after his mother, Lydia, passed away. I was hoping to find some really weird or suspicious way about her death, but instead I found absolutely nothing. No record of her death and hardly record of her even existing. All I know is, in general, Lydia Buck has existed in history. Don't even know if it's her mom. But Jonathan grew up as obscure men do. In 1762, he asked the town of Haverhill if he could build a shipyard, and they said no. So annoyed with the ways of the world, John Boy got seven of his buddies together, and they decided to sail the Penobscot River. (laughs) That's right. In retaliation, he sailed a river. It's a big river. It is. It's a big river. Lots of places to portage boats. So these eight men sailed until they hit a piece of land they deemed suitable for building and built a six-ton sloop called the Hannah. A sloop? A sloop with a P. sorry. 
I was like, that's not very nice to say. Uh, I know, he was really excited for a minute. (laughs) Me, having no clue what a sloop is or what that even means, I have learned a sloop is a sailboat that has a single mast, typically having only one head sail in front of the mast and one mainsail behind the mast. For more history on boats, join us at nine. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) These ships apparently were used for carrying messages, being lookouts, and other unexciting, boring jobs like the man we are talking about now now you might be wondering why did they decide to stop right there and build a boat well i have this guy as my witness who had to put up with me researching this for hours on end i don't know and even after looking up what this boat even is or why they decided to build it i still have no clue what it means or what they were doing so in other news after randomly stopping and building a really big boat These guys decided to set up shop and name their town Buckstown, which is now known as Bucksport, Maine. Man, if I could live in a time wherever I could name a town where I just landed, I missed out. I'd have some really weird town names. In the mid-1700s, though, it would have been known as Buckstown, Massachusetts. This is where Jonathan settled and he appeared to live a normal, uneventful life until the Revolutionary War broke out. John was 60 and like most 60-year-olds, he decided to join war and serve as a part of the 5th Massachusetts Militia Regiment as a lieutenant colonel. After researching good old John, I have never seen any enlistment papers prior to there or serving in any wars or anything so i guess you just jump right in i don't know well, as i said before to you when you were researching it it was not uncommon to be like oh this dude's gonna give us a lot of money let's give him a title as though he's actually important to our military which is true but after researching this guy i don't even know if he had any money like he had to have though he founded bucksport which is a major port in me maybe but here's where things get weirder when Castine, Buckspor, and all the towns that were on the banks of the Penobscot River were under attack, Colonel Buck had no regiment to offer to help the fight. <laughs> These battles, which occurred in now what is known as Maine, were actually the largest naval battles of the Revolutionary War held right on the Penobscot River. And Lieutenant Colonel Buck, who is credited with being assigned to oversee the 5th Massachusetts Militia Regiment, couldn't even help the largest American naval force in the Revolutionary War. Because of this horrible war, even Paul Revere was sent to court to be court-martialed, but was excused. And he could like, he had no militia to help this. Yeah. So if you look up the 5th Massachusetts militia regiment the only thing that comes up is the fifth massachusetts regiment which was commanded by colonel mansfield of boston and saw six significant battles none of them naval or main search a little further and you can find two other massachusetts fifth regiments one from the civil war and also another from the civil war that was an african-american cavalry unit so none of these were colonel buck These revolutionary battles were so bad that Buckstown was burned to the ground and Jonathan had to return to Haverville. There is also no information on how Buck earned the rank of lieutenant colonel. 
There are also stories of him being mayor of Bucksport through various points of his life, being a judge, and being a justice of this peace. All that actually seems to be true of him is being a justice of the peace and just jumping in and being lieutenant colonel and doing absolutely nothing. He and his wife got bored of being back in Mass and came back to Buckstown a few years later and worked to rebuild it. He died on March 18, 1795. Sixty years after Colonel Buck died, the town now known as Bucksport decided to erect a large granite monument with his name on it in the graveyard where he was buried. You can see this monument from the road. It's not very exciting. It's a gray granite monument with the name Buck on it. And that's it. So I guess that's how we honor our founding townsmen. This is the famous grave that has the witch's boot on it. Here's the thing, though. It isn't a gravestone. It's a monument. (laughs) A monument that was erected 60 years after this guy died. So how can it be cursed? This guy seemed to live an incredibly boring life of stuff that just didn't make any sense. So how did he manage to get some curses? You can't even find the guy's marriage certificate. So here comes poor Miss Ida Black, the most famous woman of this story. Apparently our boring guy was a dog and would sneak off to go see Miss Ida. They weren't sneaky enough because apparently they got caught. And instead of owning up to what he was up to, he decided to accuse Ida of being a witch. Ida didn't cast a love spell on him, though. He was just going over to her house to spy on her to see if she really was a witch. You know, because of all the accusations that were not swirling around about her. Apparently, the townspeople were all up in arms about having a witch living in this town, so they tried her, found her guilty, and sent her to be hung. As a special date, Buck decided to take his beautiful wife on a hot date, and they went to watch the hanging of Ida Black. Just before poor Ida was hanged, she yelled that Buck and the whole town of Buckstown would be cursed for letting her die and believing his lies. This story even goes as far as tales of Ida roaming the graveyard where Buck lies. Here's the thing, though. There are no records of a witch ever being hung in Maine or in the area of Buckstown, Massachusetts. Furthermore, the last Salem witch execution was September 22nd, 1692. That is 70 years before John sailed the Penobscot in rebellion and founded Bucksport. Nevertheless, the time frame between building the town and the town burning down and rebuilding the town. The other tale... Well, it's about a no-name woman who, once again, Buck was having a ride with. In a passion of love, she wanted him to confess his love and be with her instead of his wife. He refused, and she threatened to announce their affair to, I guess, all ten people in the town. Right. As romantic as all this was, he was having none of it and accused her of being a witch. This time, though, he had her burned to the ground like his town of Bucksport. Her foot fell off while she was being burned. And that is why a foot smudge is permanently on his grave. Just remember, no witches were burned in Maine 70 years after the witch trials. Furthermore, no witches were burned in the witch trials. We had them hung or pressed down with heavy rocks and stones and boulders. 
And again, no witches, also known as innocent women, were ever put to death <laughs> in Maine. Them women that can read. <laughs> and I wish I was done, but I'm not. We have these same stories, but it wasn't Ida or a mystery woman who cursed the buck tomb or family at all. It was her, quote, deformed son, unquote, who yelled during her burning or hanging, your tomb shall bear the mark of a witch's foot for all eternity. Because, you know, all stories that end with a deformed son must be true and not messed up sounding at all. Another story is Jonathan Buck was an avid witch hunter. Yeah, witch hunter. He was a witch hunter. Yeah, and was sending witches to burn all over Massachusetts and Maine. One day, he sentenced the wrong woman, though. She made the promise that she would step on his grave. When John died, her footprint appeared, and no amount of scrubbing would get it off. This would be a fun one if what has the mark with his gravestone you know, was actually his gravestone. It's right. a tomb. And if it wasn't 60 plus years after the witch craze ended. But has anyone ever thought to look up what the story the actual Buck family tells? Nope. The Buck family, their descendants still exist in Maine. And I managed to find one of the tales they passed down. And as you predicted, it's full of its own insensitivities again. Colonel Buck began an affair with a young native woman, and she became pregnant. In an attempt to cover this up, he burned her. The mother of this young woman is said to be a spiritual leader and cursed Colonel Buck and his family, saying that they will never be rid of the girl. In addition to the stain on the tomb, every second generation has at least one child with strong native features. What? Yeah. This woman, Jenny, goes on to say, from 2004 interview, My mother-in-law and one of her sisters seem to have been, quote, victims, unquote, of this curse. And they both look of native heritage. Wow. Not one child born in my husband's generation has any trace of native features. We're all excited and curious to see where this curse will turn up next. Whose child will stand out for the rest of the family? Are they related to Elizabeth Warren? Do they get the high cheekbones, as <laughs> right? she says? Yeah. Yeah, I wish I was I was making this story up, but apparently this is the tale that's passed down wow. in the actual so family. Let's let's pick the most misogynist and racist story to pass down <laughs> yeah. through our family. That's also not true anyways. Yeah. Horrifying. The end result of all of this nonsense? Tourism. For the town of Bucksport. Oh, yeah. Which sucks because Bucksport is gorgeous in its own right. They don't need sexist ghost stories and incredibly insensitive stories about the handicapped and racist stories about our native people to get people to go there and spend money. That's just what they have decided to do, though. The tomb, which if you remember, is a granite marker in honor of Colonel Buck, the founder of the town that was put up 60 years after he died, now has a nice parking area, ironically is wheelchair accessible, <laughs> and has an iron fence around the marker so nobody touches the marked boot. Just just in case. You know what you know what's funny? Of all those stories you outlined, that is not the story I was told. <laughs> oh jeez. Okay. So the story- What's the sexist, racist, yeah. insensitive so, so story the, you the, heard? The story I was told was that uh uh he had fell in love 
with a young woman while he was married, had an affair, and uh, they had a son together. And he was, it was to be kept a secret. Well, when the son was becoming a teenager, the son was going to tell his wife. Ooh. And so he announced her as a witch and had had the young woman burned at the stake, which is obviously bullshit. And uh, when, as she's burning, her uh, her tween son runs up to pull her from the fire and rips her leg off, trying Ooh. to save his mother. And he looks to Buck and tells him that his family will be cursed for all of eternity. Hence the leg-shaped object on his monument, not gravestone. On, right. Yeah. His gravestone but that's the story I was told ever since I moved to Maine. That, that was the story <laughs> that it was the son who cursed, his own son cursed him to live I don't. That's somehow I missed that one yep. story out of all of. These, I like that they just every fine. year they like go up and they're like, "We're gonna try and scrub the boot off this year." They make it like a whole thing. Yeah, like we're gonna scrub the boot off, and it's like they go up there, they they put a little water on it, and they're like, "Oh nope, not coming off this year." Right? It's obviously a flaw in the monument stone. And they're exactly. like, "Well, it kind of looks like a boot, so let's make up this whole bullshit." Right, story. and also on this this marker is um what people say looks like. A sideways heart. So we're really stretching here. It's not right. a heart. It's a sideways heart to symbolize that obviously it's because of love. But it's not his gravestone. His his gravestone is in back of this graveyard. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense. And the, these witch accusations don't make any sense at all. Yeah. So you're really trying to convince me that... 80 years after the Salem witch trials happened, we're going to all of a sudden start burning witches, first off, and we're going to burn this lady 80 years after the fact because some dick accused her of being a witch because he was having an affair. I'm not buying it. This It's, it's just a pretty bad way to make money. Yeah, that, that's just insanity. So when you're going on a ghost tour in Bucksport... I'm happy I ruined it for you. <laughs> right? Just go see the legitimately cool stuff that's there and have some good pizza. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's no ghost. We never had any witches burned in Maine. And if there's like a bunch of witch burning stories in Maine, I'm sorry. They're all fake. Right. Yeah. <laughs> None of them are true. Especially since in America we hung witches. There was actually never a witch burned in Salem. Yeah. So just screwed up like, I don't know, all your worldwide ghost stories. Sorry. <laughs> I fact-checked you all. The worst part about this, though, is um, in my research, I did I couldn't find the episode, but apparently the Travel Channel did do, do a segment on Colonel Buck and his affair and the tomb and all of that. And it's pretty disappointing that I fact-checked more than the Travel Channel. Well, because yeah, that's not surprising. It's not true. When the History Channel nowadays is telling us that the pyramids were built by <laughs> fucking aliens. So there's Colonel Buck for you all. Okay. I'm sorry. I, that's all we have for you for this episode, folks. I hope that was enough. <laughs> right. I hope it was <laughs> disappointing enough for you. Um, you can find us on Twitter at The Strange Show. Find us on Podbean at The Strange Show. Find us on Patreon at Strange Shenanigans, where you can sign up to get really cool stuff like shirts and bumper stickers and live shows and behind the scenes footage. Don't you want to see what we're doing behind the scenes? It's mm -hmm. super exciting, I guarantee you. Yeah. 
Uh, well, I can promise you it's more exciting than Colonel Buck over here. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and we're also on Instagram now at the Strange Shenanigan Podcast. And we're doing a lot better. I'm getting pictures up there, so you should go over there. If you want us to research anything, you've got a story to tell, reach out to us on any of the social media platforms and we'll look into it. We'll look into it and we'll tell your story for you. I'm Stan. I'm Ashley. See you on the strange side. <laughs>